and welcome to the 35th episode of the Man Reimagine podcast, a place where we can dive deeper into some of the bigger questions around what it means to be a man today. My name is Richard Ayling, and my good friend and co-founder of this podcast, Malcolm Nichols, uh, it says hello from afar. Regular listeners may have noticed that it's mainly been me of late kind of interviewing guests, and there's a reason for that. Malcolm and I have decided to open up the format of the podcast so that I can go in certain directions, and so can he, and of course we'll come back together and uh, discuss and make sense out of different topics as we started off originally. But right now, I'll be your host. I've decided to freshen things up with just a, a simpler musical intro, which you can happily skip uh, <laughs> and just get straight to the nitty gritty of it if you like. So to this week's podcast then, um, Religion. It's something that insp- has inspired me and, been, and it's been making me think recently why uh, religion is starting to kind of make a, a weird comeback in a way. Um, I've grown up as an atheist uh, in England and I just looked always as at religions, Christianity in particular, Catholicism as crumbling institutions. Um, but I'm noticing there's a, an interesting trend, especially in men's work and especially in America for men to be called back into this space. And I'm like, why is that? Is it just a need for certainty? Is, it, is this something I'm missing? And that's the kind of question that um, I'd like to explore. To be really clear, I am not here to advocate religion in any way. Um, I'm someone that really has a problem with it and some of the sort of dogmatic aspects of religion and how uh, gay people are viewed in a certain way that's super not cool. But I'm also not here to challenge those aspects of it. Like kind of new atheism has done a really good job, as Paul says later, of pulling apart some of the the problematic aspects um, of organized religion. And I'm not here to do that. And you won't hear me challenge uh, Paul on any of these aspects. What I'm trying to do in this conversation is something I don't see modeled enough of out there. And that is to truly sit down and get to know, listen to, and understand somebody else's point of view that is just so different from my own. So I'm modeling curiosity here rather than a challenge, although you'll hear me uh, throw them a few, you know, tiny curveballs along the way. So to Paul himself, and why would I invite him in particular to, to deal with this question? Well, to briefly start with his bio, Paul is the founder of Manifesto and on a mission to restore manhood. Together with the Manifesto crew, he started the European Men's Gathering in 2017, which has grown to be the hub for men's leadership training in Europe. He runs Manifesto Core, a platform for online mastermind groups, which I'm actually a part of and get a lot of value from. He is educated as a political scientist and spent nine years working at Microsoft, where he led a global network of sustainability leads. He is also a trained psychotherapist and sports coach. He lives on a small farm in the Danish countryside together with his family. Now, I'm going to be Uh, very quick to point out something that Paul would also, and that is that um, men's work and religion are two separate topics for him. And nothing that he talks about um, in terms of religion uh, shows up in manifesto in any way. So it's not a religious men's organization, although there are lots of kind of men that are drawn to it. And it's an interesting kind of mix. And this also raises my curiosity as to, oh, what, why is that? Paul um, and I met 
in person properly at the European men's gathering this summer. And we were, it's something that he organizes, but he and I were in a group together. And we kind of had a back and forth uh, around um, some aspects of uh, religion. And I just remember coming at him with the kind of classic new atheist arguments, um, which you know, I've, I've used to great effect in the past. But he managed to floor me with his responses, which were so considered and educated and made me really kind of think differently and go, I'm really missing something here. I, there's something I can learn about this. Um, my curiosity around faith and, and the idea of there being something bigger is a huge thing. And that shows up in this interview. And it's like, well, why then Orthodox Christianity, Paul? And so that's kind of the framing of this conversation. And I mapped that out at the beginning before we dive in. Like I said, I'm not here to sell anything. Paul certainly isn't either. You'll hear him talk passionately and, and give a few stories um, from, uh, from the Bible in particular. And and talk with a passion that's kind of moving. And, and there are moments when he talks about his family where you really get to hear the man and, and what life means to him. And, and, and it's moving and it's powerful. Let it trigger you. Let it land with you. Um, let it just be a, a, also a curiosity you know, from your side as to here's a man who started off as being an atheist like myself and has now moved into a space that is, is very, very different. He and I are friends. I respect what he does. We can have disagreements, but, but that's the point. You know, there needs to be space, I believe, for humans to have <laughs> different ideas about religion and yet still to hear each other out in, in these ways. And that's what I've tried to model in this conversation. So without any further ado, I bring you Paul Robson. Okay, welcome, Paul, to the Man Reimagine podcast. Thank you for inviting me into your home. I'm really looking forward to this conversation where it's going. How are you doing? I'm doing great, thanks. It's great to have you here, Rich, and uh, it's been really fun having you here already. Likewise, thank you. So we're here to sort of loosely talk around the, the framework of religion and how it's still relevant today. And we're, we're kind of quite... I think we have similar values, but I'm coming from a sort of kind of an atheist perspective, but with leanings into spirituality. And I think there's a conversation there to have around the positive aspects of what that can offer, but also some of the negative as well. And that's where I tend to get excited. <laughs> but you're coming from a place of being and identifying now in the more recent life as an Orthodox Christian mm. and, and everything that that entails. And so mm even just being around your house lately and, and seeing some of the rituals that you have and, and how you behave and think, it's like, wow, there's, I'm challenged by it, but I'm also really interested to learn and understand how you came to this and, and what it gives you in life because both you and your wife uh, seem to be in a really beautiful place and I want to better understand that. And I know that there are men out there that are also going, yeah, religion, there's so much resistance to it and yet there's, there's something that people who have found themselves into a religious life have that we also kind of maybe want or want to understand more. Mm -hmm. So that's my kind of rambling introduction, you know, like. No, I think that was a great framing of, uh, of a conversation straight to the point. So I think that that's fantastic. Um, yeah. And I, I know exactly what you're talking about because I spent the vast majority of my life as an atheist um, and, you know, 
would would for some time I would go out like criticizing religion and Christianity especially and uh, you know find people who had beliefs of different kinds and and tell them why I thought they were wrong and stupid and deluded and had misunderstood things. Um, so uh, four or five years ago, I yeah four or five years ago um, I, I I would not have believed someone who said I would be living the life that I'm living today. I would say. Um, so so it's been quite a, a big change for me as well um and i think going back to that time there was always just one little thing that kind of bothered me a little bit uh which was maybe a little bit of a key for me i don't think it was the main key but one one little thing that kind of like kept my mind a little bit open is i, I had seen statistics that like atheists were generally higher iq better educated uh, were uh, had longer educations uh, or yeah you know had better jobs all these kinds of things uh, while religious people were often kind of you know more what one going to call lower class uh, people or something like that so I, I this kind of helped me to look down on religious people but there was this one little thing that I, I'd seen that has just been taken again and again in statistics is that religious people are consistently happier and more satisfied with life than non-religious people and they have much lower levels of suicide and much lower levels of, of substance abuse and all this kind of stuff as well and so that kind of like was one of the things that bothered me um, so I'm not going to go into the whole journey of like how I got to where I am today but I, I think that what what I can see one of the issues we have is like we don't actually know what religion is I think I think that word gets used a lot mm. and a lot of the time the conversation religion is a word to say something like old dysfunctional uh, methods of controlling large populations right. uh, for abusing, you know, tyrannical expression of power or something like that. Um, and uh, yeah, or, you know, basic called Mar Marx said, you know, religion is the opium of the people. And I think that's really actually become a, a very widespread understanding as well. Um, and, and the word religion, if, if so the Latin roots of it is religare, uh, which is uh, that which binds us together, actually, um, and and so so if you look at it in it's the word's actual intention and what it's what's meant by it, then it it is what what we come together around as people in a in a community in a society in a nation or you know whatever as a grouping of people. What is it that binds them together and brings them together? And obviously, that's as religions are crumbling. <laughs> Uh, established religions are crumbling we're seeing the kind of ability to be bound together in any kind of grouping uh, also crumbling today as well yeah. yeah i mean just talking with your wife last night about this 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 desire that i have as well for for community and how you know i can imagine that back in the day when people regularly went to church on a sunday they'd be sat next to that kind of smelly old neighbor jimmy or whatever but that you would never look at or touch today, but back then he was there was he's part of something, and you would check in with each other, and there was there was something there. <clears throat> so I, I agree that that's something that's really really lacking today. Mm -hmm. But my fear is to kind of look back to to um, to, the, to to belief and faith, whereas we now have science that really kind of uh, makes a lot of that hard to believe in. It makes it feel incredible that we can take some of the great things that religion have given us without necessarily having to, um, yeah, kind of believe in stuff that's, it's, it's hard. Like the, the supernatural is, if it is a term that I'd sort of loosely bowl at you, you know, like, so mm -hmm. how do you, again, as someone that was happily an atheist that would pull apart the same things, you know, the arguments, right. Mm -hmm. How, uh, how do you kind of overcome that? How do you 
Mm-hmm. I'd love to actually know. You said you didn't want to explain how you got there, but mm-hmm. I, there I'm happy to do it. I just wouldn't start with that. Uh, okay, yeah. okay, cool. Because yeah, the, the story. That's what I'm missing, I guess. Like, because mm-hmm. I, I can share later as well, like moments where I've had transcendent experiences where I've touched into something greater than myself mm-hmm. that have been profound. But how to make sense out of those and, and then lean into one of many religions is. Um, yeah, like I, I don't know how to do that. I'm not sure I want to. There's resistance there, you know, <laughs> yeah. especially the kind of like the um, the more Western, like say, like forms of Christianity or Catholicism, where there has been abuse that is really problematic. And how would you would you say that that's just like man's kind of misunderstanding or, or failings towards religion? Like how do you how do you um, how do you integrate this kind of stuff? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, there's a lot of stuff there. <laughs> I'm gonna, I was gonna grab all of one of the first things you said uh, to start off with. I think where where you said like, well, you know, before we had faith, and now we have science, uh, or something like that. And so it's like, so we don't need faith anymore. And I, I think for me, part of it has been a realization. Um, and this actually, this is a good thing that I've got from Socrates. Actually, it's like so Socrates, someone had the someone had gone to the Oracle at Delphi, uh, and asked Oracle at Delphi is Socrates the wisest man in the world? Uh, and the Oracle at Delphi normally gave like some weird, very cryptic kind of, you know, strange, <laughs> very symbolic uh, thing, you know, like, you know, on Wednesdays, the uh, dolphins will be swimming east or something like that, right? <laughs> or whatever. I don't know if the Oracle at Delphi said that kind of stuff, but they didn't. But yeah, so, but but when this question was asked to the Oracle at Delphi, then, then the answer was, yes, Socrates is the wisest man in the world. And so the person who heard this then went back to Socrates and said, like, hey, did you hear like the, the Oracle of Delphi actually said you're the wise man? Well, then Socrates actually, he was a very wise man uh, and wise enough as well that he didn't just take this in and accept it straight away because it presented actually a bit of a quandary for him because he knew that what he didn't know was far greater than what he knew. There was so much he didn't know at all. So, so he, he had to think about this and he, he went and thought about it for a while. Like, how can it be that the Oracle says that I'm the wisest person in the world and yet there's so much that I don't understand actually. And, and what he came up with eventually was, was um, that at least he knows what he doesn't know. Whereas his ex- experience, and this is why we have the Socratic method of asking questions, most people are not aware of how much they don't know. And I think all of us go through this teenage phase where we know everything and we could tell our parents and we could explain everything. I have a 16 year old right now. You can ask him anything, he'll tell you. Um, but, but we don't actually know what we don't know. And, and, and so life is far more mysterious mm. and far greater and far stranger than we think it is. And, mm. and even if you look at, so if we take a scientific perspective on the world, then we say, well, the earth is made out of matter or the cosmos are made out of matter. It's, it's physical you know, materials and objects and stuff like that. But when we start looking a little bit closer at, at that, then we can see, first of all, when we just zoom in, then you know the atoms kind of turn into basically just this seething kind of uh, potentiality of, of chaos, basically. Um, and, and then if we also just look at like, you know, astrophysicists, then they would tell you that like, you know, about 7% of the universe is actually made out of physical matter. And then you have dark matter, which is a certain percentage, then dark energy is an even larger percentage. And what is dark matter and dark energy? Well, we don't really know. We just know it's there. And so, you know, the science of a hundred years ago, everybody looked back on the science for a hundred years ago and say, well, that's just ridiculous. The things that we believed there a hundred years ago in science. And so all of the evidence that we have is that, whatever our scientific theories are at any given time, 
in a hundred years, they'll be quite, and this is where science is built, right? It's, it's built for paradigm shifts. You know, they, 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 we, we're, we have quantifiable proof that scientific theories get replaced by new, new and better theories and the old ones don't work, uh, don't provide. But there are some ideas that have lasted far longer than that. Um, and this is what I would call, I just use the term wisdom traditions, um, but I think there are wisdom traditions where, where there are ideas that have stood the test of time. Since man, man and even the older the stories, <laughs> the, the, the more wisdom and the more depth and the more compact information it seems to be. So, so taking, for example, the biblical story of the creation, uh, when I read that as a materialist atheist, then I just thought like, this is just ridiculous. This makes no sense whatsoever. But when I Instead of looking at it to deconstruct it and to tear it to pieces, which is the, this approach, uh, John Bravaki and Jonathan Peugeot, they talk about the hermeneutics of suspicion. Instead, I take a take approach of, of, of humility and I, and I read that story, then it just explodes my mind. And, and I, I suddenly start seeing what's revealed to me is, is the mysteries of existence that are, have been challenging in my heart, actually, uh, from, from those things. And that was something I, I experienced uh, yeah, that, that, that through that that period of time, that slowly opened up more and more and more, and helped me in my work. Yeah. What I'm hearing you say is that you've kind of taken so much wisdom from from uh, books like this and, and this and traditions like that that you didn't have access to before, and that's given you something you didn't have, which is beautiful. But there's still that leap to kind of you know, it's 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 man-made, right? Still, it's man. It's 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 a very early attempt. Philosophy and Christopher Hitchens would, uh, he borrowed it from somebody else, but I heard him talk about it being sort of philosoph fossilized philosophy, as in it can't grow and it can't question itself anymore. So there's no more curiosity, and there are kind of truth claims that are kind of locked in about the world, like how old it is, and, and mm -hmm. like. Is that a misreading of it? Is that a naive kind of reductionist sort of way of looking at, say, the Bible or yeah. these stories you're talking about? So there's two ways of looking at existence. You can, you can look at it from a bottoms up perspective and you can look at it from a top down perspective. And, and both of these are, are valuable and they're needed. Um, so, so Christopher Hitchens and many of these other people will look at the historical processors and create theories around the historical processes of about how certain things have come about. And, and that's a very valuable and good thing to try and understand you know uh, evolutionary processes and also the process of how stories and culture has evolved and changed and stuff like that um and then there's also the, the top-down approach is, is is more like you start from a theory or you start from an understanding and then you 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 see if that fits onto reality somehow and, and this is what science does a lot of the time right you start with a hypothesis and then you test your hypothesis and so, so you can say that religion uh, and Christianity is the religion I can speak most of. I've spent some years exploring other religions as well, but I am now an Orthodox Christian, as you said. Um, it, it, it sees that it sees these two approaches as equal, uh, and that they have to meet in the middle. <laughs> and when they meet in the middle perfectly, and they symbolize reality or they represent reality perfectly, that enables human thriving. That's when you have truth. <laughs> this is what we call the logos. That's what the ancient Greeks also called the logos. Um, so, so yeah, it has to be a personal experience. So this idea of faith, some people think, well, faith, it's about believing something that you, that you can't know. It's like, well, in, in the same way that when you step up out, you wake up in the morning and you swing your legs over the edge of the bed, you don't know that there's going to be something firm when you put your feet down there. Even if you can see the ground, you don't know, it might just have, you know, it might just be your, 
a dream that you had yesterday that was firm ground. Maybe it looks like the ground, but it's actually water. But you have faith that the ground's going to catch you and you're going to stand up on it and you don't, you're not going to like fall into an abyss by stepping out of your bed. So when I say that I have faith in God, that's the kind of faith that I'm talking about. The same as you know, when you stand up in the morning, you're going to put your, your feet on the ground. The certainty that you have of that, that that's the faith that I have in God. Uh, and I can say that with 100% confidence today. I love, I need deeply need to understand how you got there like so you mentioned personal experience and again i i, I had the i've had these transcendent experiences that that and and synchronicities that suggest something and it's like wow and so we can talk about the, the values and i think you and i mentioned last night the how good for the brain it is you know to sort of be uh, humble and to just kind of get out of your own fucking ego essentially mm -hmm. but your next level like you're 100% like I, that is the kind of faith that I have in God. I, I hear that and I respect that and I believe that, but I don't understand it. Mm -hmm. So how did that, how did you get there? <laughs> well, I mean, God is a mystery. So, so, so I can't explain it to you in words. It has to be experienced. Yo, okay. uh, there's, there's this idea in some forms of Christianity, especially modern evangelical Christianity, that um, being a Christian is, is an, is kind of like uh, saying, I believe in Jesus <laughs> and then saying some prayer together with some person who's like, has their arm around you. And then like, now you're a Christian, right? And it's like, it's like, no, that, that's not, that's not what being Christian is. I don't even know if I can put a definition on, 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 on what a Christian is, except that so faith is a part of it. Uh, it's something about a way. It's a, something about living in a different paradigm of existence, I, I guess, uh, that I can see that other people are not in. Uh, sometimes um, but um, so we have a what we call an apophatic definition of God and then a cacophatic definition of God so the apophatic means that you can only say what God is not uh, so it, whatever you say God is he's not that because he's far greater than that so we words can never describe can encapsulate that mystery and then the cacophatic means you can say like God is love, God is the logos, God is compassion, God is everything that is good <laughs> and wholesome and and brings things together. God is, you know, I like Jonathan. Jordan Peterson talks about like you know something like God is that which unites multiplicity without destroying any of the uh, any of the uniqueness of the individual parts, but he unites it into into a whole somehow. Very different from the Hindu or Eastern understandings, which kind of like it's more like the drop in the ocean where you get absorbed into it, right? Um, whereas the Christian understanding of God is is you retain, you actually become more human as you become a part of God. Uh, you become more yourself. Your personality will be, shine more forth. Um, and the process of it, I would say, is I mean, to to get to that understanding is um, wanting it uh, and asking for it. Uh, I would say, uh, asking for it. Uh, so, so John Verveke, I've been listening to his Awakening from the Meaning Crisis uh, series, and um, he speaks about how when you put your attention onto something, it becomes more salient in your, in your being, um, and it, it kind of, uh, it, it helps you to understand the depths of it much more. Um, and so, and so what my experience has been is the more that I've done that with Christianity and especially going to the roots of Christianity, the more that it's just opened itself up to me. So I, I probably started with a kind of thing like, okay, well, I can act as if God exists. I would say that was my first steps. 
Um, and then there were several things that happened when I started doing that, that gave me a massive boost in, in my, in my journey and a, a massive transformational kind of, uh, insights and um, just concrete experiences that I would, you know, you, you would call them, I would call a miracle, uh, that you would <laughs> probably, uh, so we could discuss about miracles as well, if you weren't, um, but it, like miraculous things happened. Um, in my life that that actually for me made it a love relationship so it became a relationship of, of love like it, it was and it, and it was something about like seeing something that you said you, you said you've you've had this experience yourself of 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 like meeting something that's far greater than yourself <laughs> and and suddenly you you you, you realize how small you are and, and insignificant you are but when you when you see that and you're able to not meet it with well i want to be the middle i want to be the center of things you know the, the standard individualist view then you can start um, trying to learn from that thing that you learned. And I think I think I just I just had those experiences, and I, I dared to call that God, and 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 I put it into a Christian framework as well. And that 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 felt arbitrary, I guess, in some ways. Uh, but it also was so clear that because I had explored the other ways, that that was the only thing left. <laughs> it was the only thing left, and the other stuff hadn't worked. Wow. I'm, I'm, I feel inspired to kind of share what I meant by or describe the personal experiences that I had, it was just mm -hmm. one or two. Mm -hmm. And then perhaps we can find some common ground there and you can be like, ah, yeah, like I, I get it. Or, mm -hmm. And then my resistance to kind of, especially leaning into that kind of the Western approach to religion for sure. And, and much more being inspired with um, say Buddhism or kind of the yoga tradition and philosophy. Mm -hmm. um, there's two things that come to mind, two moments that were like, wow, what the hell was that? One was mm -hmm. through doing breath work, mm -hmm. um, being a Wim Hof instructor, training up in the mountains. It was a particularly potent time and I'd kind of overcome this autoimmune disease. And I just remember being deep into this breath work session and it was this kind of out of body experience. Um, I was utterly gone and this voice <laughs> kicked in and it wasn't a voice in my own consciousness or in my own mind. It wasn't my own thoughts. And I know that as mm -hmm. concretely as anything. Mm -hmm. And it said, you can make your autoimmune disease go away by thinking it. And it was just this, like, that's truth. Mm -hmm. I can accept that as truth. And, I, and it was like a knowing. Mm -hmm. yeah. this is right. And so then afterwards, just sat down <coughs> by, by a tree out in nature and just feeling like deeply peaceful and trying to then sort of relate to people afterwards was kind of like, oh, do I have to? Right. Mm -hmm. Second example. Um, uh, having done a lot of yoga and yoga uh, teacher trainings, I was deeply deep in one of them with a very experienced um, trainer, world known, world renowned. Mm -hmm. And this idea of transmission, I just thought was poppycock, you know, mm -hmm. and I was like, okay, but he, there was no breath work. There was no movement. We were just sat there doing this one particular meditation. He was kind of guiding our awareness throughout our body. And, and you know, there was a whole framework and set up towards it. Mm -hmm. But again, there was this, I could probably start crying. That's how deeply embedded it is in my, my DNA, I think, just from the experience. Mm -hmm. And what a gift that I can still feel that now just by recalling it like five years later. Mm -hmm. But there was this sense of deep bliss that came into me and light. And it, well, here it goes. <laughs> that it was just... Mm -hmm. I'm at peace. Nothing matters. I don't matter. Like uh, ego death seems too grandiose, but there was definitely a, a sense of 
I've got this. Or so I, I, I'm held, actually. It's not about me. And, and I have this kind of echoes of that every so often when I tap into meditation or, and I'm humble about it. And I, you know, there's something, okay, I'm tapping in and I'm asking for mm-hmm. support. So um, I've experimented with the word God, but just mm-hmm. uh, can't be that. Um, <laughs> but these are the experiences that I've had. And when I'm not connected to that, when I'm not doing that, and this, this, these practices that take me to that place, even for glimpses and moments of grace, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not a, a better person for it. So, mm-hmm. yeah, help me make sense of that. And, and do you relate? Yeah. Um, hmm. So in the Christian tradition, uh, everything is centered around the person of Christ. Uh, he is the incarnation. So you can't really talk about any of this stuff. Uh, or like he is central to to all of it and so the idea is that uh, and there's a guy called saint maximus the confessor who's described this very well Um, he you've probably heard the concepts in other this is also in the field of yoga of the macrocosm and the microcosm Uh, so the universe is a macrocosm and uh, the human being is the microcosm of that macrocosm so these things are reflected inside of each other. And so the entire universe, the only place where it exists is inside our consciousness to a certain extent. Like it, it appears inside of our consciousness. We don't really have access to anything outside of that. I believe that it, it does exist independently of my consciousness. It's not an illusion. Of course, some some Eastern traditions believe it's it's just Maya uh, or illusion, right? Um, but that's not my perspective. But, but there is this mirroring of these two things between each other. And sometimes when things fit into places in the microcosm and, and so saint max the concession he, he says man is the mediator between the macrocosm and the microcosm and when he fixes the microcosm the macrocosm gets fixed somehow so by by this is why just self-help it's always about you start with yourself right you fix yourself and then and then somehow that things can fall into place and in, in, in obviously it, it falls in place in your life but but that's how we we can kind of mediate between all of the different oppositions of, of existence somehow and so so the operating principle for both the microcosm and the macrocosm is the logos this was this comes from the ancient greeks as well it's it can be translated in many different ways but it's like rationality or meaning or whatever it is like the it's it's the um the mystical principle that makes things fit together <clears throat> and the story of the bible uh, from an orthodox christian perspective is the story of christ and it's the story of christ from it's in the in the in the biblical creation narrative then it is christ who was the one who spoke the world into being uh, and then created a garden for humans to be and they lived and existed there in close communion with God. So there was a, a natural state of harmony and everything being perfectly peaceful. And then what happened is that man decided to follow his own will instead of God's will. God had given him simple instructions. They were somewhat arbitrary instructions. He didn't understand why. Uh, the Orthodox understanding is that the tree of the fruits of the knowledge of good and evil was meant to be eaten, but later... He wasn't mature enough to be able to distinguish between good and evil yet. He needed to have more experience before he should eat from it. So, but he, he decided he wanted it because it looked tasty and it was desired to make him wise. He wanted to be wise. It was, it was so, so, so he rebelled against it. 
And so what God had said is, if you eat from that tree, you will die. And he didn't mean I'm going to kill you. It was that the natural consequence of eating from that tree will be going against what I'm telling you will be good for you. And that will mean separation from me because, because God is holy. <laughs> and so, so being together with God burns you if, if you go against his will. So God, out of mercy, withdraws himself and allows human beings. He's given free will. So you can be with God, but that requires following God's will. Or you can choose your own way, but that means a departure, a voluntary departure from God. It's never, it's never forced, but it's a voluntary departure based on your own free will. You go your own way, then you don't follow God. And so that's what Adam and Eve did. And so they left God. And then the story of the Bible is like, you know, like things degrade quite quickly, actually, because the first two brothers, one of them kills the other, Cain, Cain kills Abel. Um, and then life, the world kind of like destroys disintegrates into violence and chaos in, in many ways and then a whole lot of things happen but all through the story it's like this great cosmic drama basically of these spiritual forces warring against each other through human beings and there's like rape and wars and chaos and all the stuff that happens in human society of course until and then the idea is that god actually sends his son and he is the divine logos he is god himself he's the god man and what does he, why does he do that? He does it to show the way to human beings, uh, which is basically, if you have to sum up, so Christ was asked like, what about all these laws and what are they and what's that all about? And like, how do we sum up all these things together? He said, you can just sum up this with two things. Love God with all your mind, all your heart, all your soul and love your neighbor as yourself. They said, those are the most important things. So basically like if you have an attitude of love and instead of just saying it, Christ did it. So he, he then submitted himself to the most powerful empire that ever existed, uh, despite being just a man who loved and cared and fed people and helped people and whatever. Uh, he was betrayed by his closest friends, uh, left completely alone, tortured, and then hung up on a cross in this painful way to die. Um, and in this way, kind of completely... Uh, and, 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 what he, and he said this weird, really strange thing. He, he said, like, you know, like, this is the way that the kingdom of God will be established. And no one really understood that at the time. And he also said other weird stuff, like, you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood to be a part of me and stuff like that. So these, like, weird, almost, like, kind of, sounds like very weird pagan rituals kind of thing or something like that, right? Um, but what we've then saw after his death is that, well, first of all, like, you know, Christ is very much active. You can whatever you want to call like, you know, the death that God said to Adam and Eve, they would have, that was a spiritual death, not a physical death, obviously. And so, so whatever you think about Christ, like he's obviously very much present in the world today and has been the most influential human being that's ever lived at, at least at the, at the very least, you know, he's to, even today, there's more Christians than any other religion, but he also conquered the Roman empire. Uh, the whole Roman empire became Christian, even though they were the ones who had, had killed him. Right. So he, he showed that love is by far the most powerful force of the universe. And I think if you look at the media today, then, you know, you'll see weaponized compassion, weaponized love, but still anybody who wants to win any kind of battle, they're still trying to, since Christ, the only way to do it really in a long-term sustainable way is to convince people that you are the person who's most loving and caring and compassionate with your actions. And so this, and this didn't exist. People don't really understand how revolutionary it was. Like, you know, the Roman empire, 
the right thing to do, and this was standard knowledge at the time, is you would invade other nations, you know, take their women and children as slaves, kill the men, you know, burn down their villages. That's just what you did. So, so Christ showed this revolutionary new way of being and, and, and then invited us to participate in that. Uh, and so, and, and, and he said, if you participate in that, you will become one with me. You will actually become, and not just like you'll become one with me in some kind of um, metaphorical way, but you will actually be, so we use the word in the Orthodox faith, we use the word uh, theosis, which means you become godlike. You, you become in this lifetime, you, you attain, and there's plenty of examples of, of, of Orthodox saints who, who attain very, very high levels of, of theosis. Uh, you, you don't always recognize it, especially if you're, if you're skeptical about it, you might not recognize it. But if you are open to it, it's incredibly clear. And then the people I've met, it's just so incredibly clear how they, they've attained this kind of thing uh, in, in, in that faith system. Sorry, long story. Yeah, no, <laughs> Thanks no, for being so patient. No, no, I was listening, but I was also wondering how that kind of linked into that kind of physical experience that I had as well. Because I was asking whether you related to that and made sense of it and i was wondering how these the, this story kind of related to yeah. what i was doing yeah so so being a christian isn't just about like um reading your bible and saying i love jesus it's, it's a physical embodied experience and so you so christ is the logos but the whole of existence is made up of the logi uh, and that's, this is like the the smaller principles that all contain christ as well and so so the way you experience this is you you join on the journey of Christ and you follow that in your physical experience every single day. So this is the reason why we stand up when we're at church, <laughs> at a church service, um, and, and why in, in the Orthodox faith, you, you fast uh, every single week. There's a pattern of fasting and there's, there's feasts throughout the year where you fast before these feasts and you fast before. Uh, so there's like a, a fixed fasting kind of pattern and there's like concrete practices that will you know of prayer and, and and this kind of thing confession that will often give you these kinds of physical experiences but they're not the goal because the goal making the physical experiences the goal uh can be a big distraction as you as you mentioned yeah yeah, yeah. i'm wondering like with the the statistics you mentioned earlier because I've, I've heard those as well like does that also apply to people of all spiritual inquiries and faiths that they're kind of happier and more content or, or does it apply to specific religions because like mm -hmm. some of the um you know some of the lazy criticisms i could make of religion and, and the, the dogma to one side like mm -hmm. i'm also not kind of um i'm, I'm curious about like prayer is, it seems to me, if I understand it right, as like a, a way to get out of your own mind that it's it's it's, it's a sign of humility, mm -hmm. um, which you know we talked about yesterday helps you sleep better mm -hmm. and it, it does give me respite. And the idea of confession, as I understand it, is um, this, not to absolve you of your sins to use that kind of language, but to to release mm -hmm. something that is pent up inside you to someone that would actually yeah. have the authority to go. That's yeah. okay man you know like woman like you know it's okay mm -hmm. you're forgiven and that's mm -hmm. forgiveness is um is something that's so important but mm -hmm. is self-forgiveness not actually kind of more important do we, do we need someone externally to do that for us like i just wonder mm -hmm. about some of these rituals and whether because mm -hmm. i mean yeah and, and you can wonder about them i'd say try them <laughs> try them <laughs> like my concrete experience is like they really 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 work uh but but like i can't convince you intellectually of it like it, it is uh the orthodox answer is always like come and see that's that's what christ said that sometimes like come and see right it's like 
let's it, lean into that. Really, yeah. 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 No, I, I, I hear you. And then being around you and Laura in your home and, and it's, thank you for the invitation and for just you know, trusting me. We've met before, obviously, yeah. but <laughs> it's generous. Like that meant a lot. I was like, wow. Um, and you have this beautiful ritual where you, before each meal, then you would mm-hmm. say grace in some cultures, but you actually sing. Mm-hmm. And you say, sang in Danish. I was like, that's a nice melody. The English version of it, the, the melody kind of, it, it, there was something that reminded me of going to church when I was, I had to attend weddings as a page boy, as a boy. And just this kind of dreary kind of like, doesn't feel happy, you know? And that, that's kind of like a, just a, a, an observation I made. And that's not a judgment of how you sing. It's it's uh, my relationship mm-hmm. to the Orthodox Church. And, and there's just something kind of like, heavy about it which mm-hmm. actually pushes me away and so what draws you into that and, and makes you want to do these practices you know like even a muslim client of mine she's like mm-hmm. look every time we get on the mat and we go through the thing i don't love it every time but i do it you mm-hmm. know and it, it, it's, mm-hmm. it's potential mm-hmm. there's there's so many offerings out there but with with orthodox christianity i just find there's a um, a resistance in me and a heaviness that i, I can't get past and so when you say mm-hmm. come, come try it out it's like mm-hmm. I need something to happen. I need to be down on my knees, mm-hmm. you know, just kind of like down and out. Like that's how uh, 10 step programs like AA, for example, they were, I believe they were kind of um, invented by like Christianity at some point. And there is a moment of absolute submission to like something higher than yourself. I'm not on the floor. Mm-hmm. And I don't say that that's no disrespect to people in AA, but mm-hmm. it's a choice and you need to be in a certain place in life to really want to make it and you said that you found your way there and it was like and then you just just, yeah okay i'm going to give this a try Mm -hmm. like was life great in that moment or was it you just like oh today orthodox christianity fuck it you know (laughs) surely not so what could pull me in and can you you can you relate to my resistance because you Mm -hmm. used to make fun out of this kind of stuff as well right so yeah what someone that's curious and i'm not trying to convince anyone i'm just Mm -hmm. trying to understand yeah i mean there's definitely a truth to the idea that um, Christianity often becomes apparent to people, like real Christianity becomes apparent to people who are who have really hit rock bottom. That's, that's definitely the case for a lot of people. Um, and the way I view that is simply that Christianity involves, like stepping into that involves death. It, it is really, it's a, it's a complete ego death um you you can't you have to be willing to let go of of the whole of yourself (laughs) and give it over to god to to do it and and give it into the unknown so 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 you have to be quite desperate (laughs) to get to that point for for a lot of people um i have i had a long preparation of i would say about eight or nine years of uh doing that out doing exact trying to do that outside of the outside of a christian context uh, where i quit my job sold my home, uh, gave away everything I owned, <laughs> uh, went and lived for months at a time in various different Eastern countries. Oh, wow. Um, so completely stepped away from everything uh, and went and hung out with like circus people instead of uh, the <laughs> corporate types that I was hanging around with before. They were a lot more fun. It was a lot more chaotic as well. Uh, but absolutely, I, I, I realized at some point, like I, all I'm doing right now is actually just like it's like Kali basically destroying everything. Um, I, I could see that very clearly. Um, at some point, I I lost any kind of st- stable home in in the world, and I was having to move around regularly and couldn't couldn't find a thing to base my 
based my life very stably around. So there was a period where I was moving almost every second month or something like that. Um, that was very time consuming and brought a lot of stability into my life. But I kind of saw it as that's my, most of my spiritual practice is to decenter myself, to shake things up uh, and to also yeah, kill off my, my perspective of seeing the world. So, so in that way, but I, I was born, I, I grew up, I was born a very, stable conservative home and i was given some very good foundational principles one of the things my parents gave me is to be careful with money so i i never like to squandered all my money I, I i've always had good finances through all of this um and that was being and and so i never really hit rock and, and so and i always had good relationships i had always good friends they changed a lot i was constantly going through there's a lot of instability a lot of drama sometimes in personal relationships i was in this whole polyamory scene for for years um and so so um had incredibly intense interactions with people but just couldn't create what i was trying to create as well at the same time um but but that really um kind of yeah yeah it was a lot of intensity but it was spread out over that eight-year period so when i when i finally just shift my attention to christianity because before that had been anything but christianity basically when i finally shifted my attention to christianity it was just easy from there because <laughs> then everything just started clicking into place and I saw everything in my work just worked all of a sudden in a far more effective way uh, than what it had when I'd been trying to base it on really a, 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 a system of belief and philosophy that is alien to Western civilization where I was working, basically. What I'm thinking of is, is um, there wasn't a rock bottom, like you said, but it overlaps kind of loosely with uh, the path of Tantra and not like sexy time Tantra, like Neo Tantra, mm -hmm. let's call it, but like the, the ancient philosophy is like, you know, 5,000 years old, whereby mm -hmm. you kind of, you explore the right-handed path of Tantra, which is, you know, diving into these practices, but then you at some point go off into what they call the left-handed path, which is then mm -hmm. the dark stuff and just like, you know, extremes of everything, like diving into sexuality and, and intoxicating yourself and just, throwing away structure and, and existing mm -hmm. in chaos in order to then kind of move back to the right-handed path. And mm -hmm. um, this is my kind of Winnie the Pooh understanding of that because I've, I've limited understanding, but you know, mm -hmm. that's before anyone uh, screams. <laughs> <laughs> that's not Tantra. <laughs> that's but not Tantra. <laughs> it, it does feel like without you hitting rock bottom, there was definitely yeah. an exploration of let's just yeah. fuck everything, you know, and just kind of, I need to step away from what isn't working in order to then come back and find something that is. I mean, mm -hmm. does that land? Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I, I went to all the most extreme Tantra events that I could find um, mm. uh, and attended. So there's, a, there's an organization called the new Tantra and I attended almost all of their retreats in a six month period, just dong, 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 one after the other. Um, and like, yeah, never, never got involved in the crew side of things. Um, Although that that could have happened, I'm very happy it didn't happen. Um, but but yeah, so I, I was searching for the most extreme and kind of uh, uh, what we call it border crossing <laughs> experiences that I possibly could. Uh, I became the 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 contact for the uh, Burning Man in, in in Denmark and involved in, in organized Burning Man events and, and running Borderland Festival in Denmark and all this kind of stuff. So I was really looking for. The extremes of experience and 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 um yes i absolutely all of that is a part of where i got to where i am today could i have taken some shortcuts and, <laughs> and gone that way and, and would that have been better yes absolutely i i the the i didn't know? well 
there's two ways of looking at it. Like what happened happened and what I needed, I needed. So, so that's, that's what I needed. And can I use all of that today? Yes, absolutely. Because it, it, it especially helps me to understand all of this stuff that people are facing now there, which is very, very valuable in my work. And it means that I can talk to people who are in burner culture, in Tantra, in new age spirituality, in, you know, yoga and Hinduism and India and all that kind of stuff, because I, I understand exactly where they're at. Um, so that's valuable. Um, my mission is not to lead them to Christianity, by the way, because that's that doesn't we haven't got to this yet, but maybe we will. But I, mm -hmm. I don't see this whole religion conversation. That's why I'm happy I'm having this conversation on on your podcast because I don't see this whole religion conversation actually fitting into men's work, and and it's certainly not a part of what I'm doing in Manifesto. If these guys want to talk to me about this kind of stuff, just like I said with you, then I said like let's have a conversation separate from our, our Manifesto engagement. I don't see it as a part of what I'm doing in Manifesto, but I do understand the challenges that are there, and and I and and since I've left those areas, then I do think that I can. I see there's a lot of value in all of these systems. There's a lot of value in understanding this stuff, and there's a value in that whole kind of tantric left right-hand path, left-hand path, Christ. You know, it's it's integral in the Christian system as well. It's the sheep and the goats, and the it it, it it's everything there. If you just look at that's my icon corner over there, uh, then the it's not a coincidence that there's specific saints that are always on the right hand side of any icon corner or on the iconostasis in a, in a our Orthodox Church, and there's other saints that are on the left, and so so the guys on and 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 you'll have like the holy fools, the the, the trickster types on 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 the left hand side, and and then the pure and holy ones on the right hand side. Uh, the Apostle Paul, my patron saint, he 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 was a holy fool. Most people read him and take him very seriously, but actually, he is it's what's called a fool for Christ. He 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 was a, a trickster, a, a shift, a, a shapeshifter almost, in, in, in kind of using non-Christian terms of understanding. Uh, so so he's always he's always on the left hand side uh because because that is uh and he even he, he writes multiple times in, in in his writings that that's what he is actually but people don't often get that about him super interesting i mean for anyone that obviously cannot see like you've actually got like uh i would say i would call it a shrine you know and you've, you've got a few that's that's my understanding of it you call it an yeah. icon corner yeah, I mean, it, it's, a, it's, it's, it's a kind of little altar. Altar, okay. Yeah, you can call it an altar, yeah. Like, Orthodox churches have altars, and, and that's my home altar, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm really starting to understand you better. There's still that kind of... Um, my desire to kind of, you know, live in a, in a secular world where all of this has its place, right? Mm -hmm. And so, like, I... I but even in the men's retreat I, I gave recently, it's like how do we embody and start to apply some of the things that we've realized about ourselves and how we want to behave as men in this world. Mm -hmm. you, you, you learn about this stuff in a retreat or, or in some kind of space like that, mm -hmm. that's ideally in nature, it's secluded, just like the European men's gathering that you lead. There's, there's a very specific experience and we have to give our phones and put them into an envelope, you know, it's like, mm -hmm. got it. Mm -hmm. Very good reason for that. But then when you go back to, let's call it reality loosely, mm -hmm. yeah. Then, then there's the challenge. So I suggest that men have some kind of personal practice. Yeah. And that that has to be, I believe physicality is important. So I mean, I love yoga and qigong because it just gets me in my body, but then some form of meditation or, or some kind of communication. I know you're a fan of journaling, for example, right? but can all of these offerings be free from religion and, and faith? You know, like can people find what you are experiencing in life without this? Not, li life cannot exist without religion and faith if you think you're free of religion and faith you just are worshiping a, a much lower uh, god 
who am I worshiping? I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm uh, not reacting to. I, I like this idea, and I'm trying yeah. to understand. Yeah. So I, I don't know who you were. I don't know you well enough. But but I, I think that human beings naturally uh, worship. That's what we do. Uh, we we are religious beings. Uh, that just means religious again. Religare that which draws us together. We naturally want to be drawn together. Sorry for the beeping, <laughs> reminder or something. Um, we're naturally drawn together with other people. We naturally want to be joined together with other people in community, in fellowship, in communitas. And 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 so <clears throat> way we, the only way to do that is to find a thing that draws us together that we're centered around. Uh, and and so that can be, you know, in in, in in so in modern secular society, what are the primary religions? Well, they're hybrid religions, obviously. They're not, there's not normally not one thing, there are normally several things, so it's quite a fragmented approach. Uh, money is is, a, is obviously a big one. Uh, individual self status is, is another one. A lot of people will put themselves as as the thing that they worship. Their own their own image of themselves, which is obviously not themselves, but it's a it's a fantasy of, of what they think they are, and they will worship that. Um, but it could also be just like you know a, being a good family dad or something like that. And so so we're driven by we love that which we worship, uh, and and so it's it's a it's a relationship of love that we have, and we offer ourselves. We sacrifice things to the things which we worship as well and so we're constantly sacrificing people think like oh yeah what strange people that live such a long time ago and they sacrificed animals and stuff like it's like we sacrifice stuff all the time we, we're, we're constantly sacrificing you know it's like so so we so so what is it that we're worshiping what is it we're sacrificing that that's i think a, a, some of the most valuable questions to ask oneself and the natural thing that will happen when you start asking yourself that question is you'll find higher and higher level things to sacrifice to uh and and you know at, at the top of that pyramid someone like plato would have put truth love and beauty and 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 then above that he put god and i think that's that i mean that's exactly what christians do as well right so, so and then and then and then we would say christ is the embodiment of, the, of those things and if you just read the stories of christ like there's i don't think there's any other better example of of um of 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 how to you know it, it just it just it just it continues to deepen when when one reads those stories of of how those principles are embodied in the person of Christ. I, I love what you just said in giving these other examples of the things that we worship, you know, like mm -hmm. ourselves, and I, I believe individualism is is destroying us. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not convinced yet that religion is a cure, but like just getting past ourselves is, is absolutely essential. Um, there's something about sacrificing time and, and what we're actually, because that seems to be the ultimate um, quantity, the ultimate thing that we we have. It, it is limited and to quote like a Marvel movie, if mm -hmm. I may, like death gives life meaning, you know? And so what we're doing with our time, mm -hmm. that's profound. That's what resonates with me deeply. I mean, again, mm -hmm. maybe your philosophy or your, sorry, apologies, your religion uh, disagrees with that because you have an afterlife, which again, I find really problematic because then there is no meaning to life other than just looking forward to something else. But that, that to one side, um, what we sacrifice our time for is the question, the older I get and the, the more my ego gently, slowly but surely starts to calm down, I'm starting to realize like, mm -hmm. it's not about me, mm -hmm. to quote the same movie. <laughs> um, and mm -hmm. just like, what am I doing with my time that, that ultimately has value? And it's like to give of myself to other people, and to spend my time connected to something greater than myself and whatever that thing is, I can't call it God yet, mm -hmm. but that is um, 
deeply humbling and it gives me a sense of peace that I actually, you know, have never had. And no. so, I mean, you're really on a good path, Rich. Rich, I think, I think you're really understanding a lot of stuff very well. And I think it sounds great. Um, I, I'll actually take up, you said like, aside with the thing about death and life and mm -hmm. stuff like that, it's like, you're right. Like death is, is the, the whole core thing, you know, in, in the end of October, I'm running a retreat called the jury towards death. And this is to help people realize and think about, because we don't think about the, about the fact that we will physically die. Yep. Um, so one way of looking at this and, you know, it's not, I'm, I'm not, saying this is like, yeah, I, I, this is definitely, you know, from my orthodox understanding, if, if we take, so this, this icon right over here, this is a man who lived 2000 years ago. He took the left-hand path. Uh, he, he went around slaughtering Christians everywhere he could find them. He, he locked them up uh, in jail and then killed them. Uh, he was a Pharisee, uh, a scribe, very learned Roman citizen and a Jew, and, and he, he hated Christianity, so he killed all the Christians that he could find. Uh, and then one day he was riding on his horse to another town to go kill some more Christians, and then he had an experience where he met God, uh, and he then became, uh, he, he, he's written more books in, in the New Testament than any other person. Uh, he's written most of the New Testament, actually, and um, he is probably the most influential person after Christ as to how we understand Christianity today. Uh, so he's written a, a majority of the New Testament Holy Scripture. And so I pray every single day of my life to Paul, uh, and I do it as a man who has so much depth of wisdom and complexity and understanding. And it's so clear to me that Paul is not dead. St. Paul is not dead. He's not dead. He's, I talk to him. <laughs> I, I converse with him. I pray with him and he's a partner with me in my life. He's a partner with me in my life. He's a source of inspiration. I have his writings, but I also have the transmission of him through the church. He, he's alive inside the church. He's alive. Every time I go and celebrate liturgy, you're surrounded by icons of all of the saints. They're all there. So in the Bible, it talks about this great cloud of witnesses. As we step into the kingdom of God, then we're surrounded by these people. They're with us. They're inspiring us. They become a part of us. And so Paul is living inside of me as well, because Paul became a part of Christ. He, 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 rich, he, he speaks about, he says, I knew a man who reached the third heaven. He was talking about himself. He was too humble to say. He called himself the greatest of sinners. He, he had killed <laughs> killed hundreds of people probably we don't know how many people he killed but he, he so so that that left-hand path of great sin <laughs> led him to a life of intense holiness and and desire towards meeting god and also humility of seeing his own inadequacies and so paul is so alive today <laughs> so this idea that like well you're dead then you're finished and it's gone and you never have to worry about it. it's like no well two thousand years from now would you rather be a paul or would you rather just be a person who is dead and gone and it's like, we want people to remember us we want a legacy right and so and so it's like, you know, I, I believe there's more to it than this. And, and so these, but, you know, five years ago, four years ago, as I started looking into this stuff, then this was at least one understanding that helped me. And it was the first stepping stone to understand, well, there's actually more to this. Uh, but, but certainly, no matter how much of a hardcore atheist you are, then you have to admit that the idea of being something for somebody after you're gone <laughs> is far better than being irrelevant uh, after, your, after your death. I guess that's, that's interesting. You say that because I'm my my thought pattern around that is that that's like that's ego. That's 
to not that's, that's but that's the ego is not bad there's nothing wrong with the ego this is an eastern teaching that your ego needs to be destroyed and you just become absorbed into the into into the ocean again it's like your ego that, 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 that sounds so good to me we're we're, <laughs> we're we're aiming towards theosis that's that's a word that sounded like white noise earlier i, I wanted to pick you up on that because i, I yeah. didn't understand mm -hmm. what that actually gave a human if they were to attain that so, so when you say that i need help so so human beings so Many understandings of human beings is that we're bad or evil. Uh, Gnosticism is probably the dominant underlying religion and everything, all, all the new secular religions, actually, they were very Gnostic today. The whole trans, trans uh, sexuality thing is very Gnostic as well. So Gnosticism believes that physical reality is actually evil and bad uh, and needs to be transcended. Um, Christianity is not Gnostic. This is not true Christianity. Christianity believes that what you are is love and good and you can be united with God and you'll still remain rich. <laughs> you won't disappear. Rich won't be disintegrated. Rich, so Christianity doesn't believe in disintegration. We believe in unification that maintains the uniqueness and the beauty and the truth <laughs> of every single individual part. It's that which brings everything together without destroying the multiplicity. Mm. So that, so, and that includes your ego. You are a person and you will remain being a person and being a person people are good it's just when they're separated from god they tend to do bad things because they don't know what to do we get confused <laughs> no i hear you i guess because the closest thing I've, I've spent so much time with would be um the path of yoga and seeing these men predominantly but also lots of women i need to read up about that actually mm -hmm. but they there's a distinction between householders which are the people that need to relate to real life and have attachments like families, kids, and things. Mm -hmm. And then there's um, renunciates, right? So they yep. renounce everything. Monks. Okay, thank you. Yeah. So they, they, there's, there's no attachment, right? So they're just purely there to... And in a lot of these kind of sages and, and other fancy names that they have for themselves, there is this kind of place that they reach where they are actually able to then sort of I know I'm using the wrong language, but sort of dissolve their ego and 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 become uh, rejoin something greater than themselves, whatever mm -hmm. you know, name they have for it. Mm -hmm. That's not for you know the vast majority of us. Like, mm -hmm. I agree, that's not something that I'm interested in trying to attain in this life. You know that yeah. that's not something uh, that that moves me. But mm -hmm. what does make me wonder is like man's predominantly kind of drive to be important and relevant after they have moved on like why can why is it not enough to just provide what, like a farm that you have cultivated here for your children why is it why is there such a need to be remembered because the extremes of that will be people like trying to fly into space and naming buildings after themselves and mm, you know. no no so so the, the fundamental understanding is repeated again and again in in the bible is that you know what 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 stands the test of time is is not man's achievements it's god's achievements hmm. so 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 and god's achievements are very different to man's achievements so you know we tried the tower of babel as is, is the archetypical story where human beings decide let's build a tower to reach up to god and so they did that and and it didn't work right um it, it, disintegr it disintegrated into chaos and so so uh, you know, the, again and again, the Bible says like vanity of vanities, all is vanity. <laughs> like, you know, like everything is the same again and again and again. Um, so, so this is when, when we try and do things in our own strength, then, then, so it's just because you, you have, you mentioned legacy and that's, it wasn't God's kind of what God can achieve. It was about what, no, what, no, what so your, your legacy. So, so St. Paul has a, has a, has a great legacy. Yes. Okay. Uh, and, and it, and it's as a man who submitted himself to God. 
that's his legacy. He, he was an example of love and compassion and care and humility and service. Uh, that's what his legacy is. So, so God used him not because of any talents or gifts that were his, but because, you know, so, so in, in actually, and so Paul is a great example, but actually the, the, the greatest, the highest person on the echelon of saints in the Orthodox Church, do you know who it is? The, the very number one person because there is a hierarchy very much so okay. and the, the top of the hierarchy is is the theotokos the, the mother of god uh, which is mary and and what does mary do well the main thing that we can find mary in the new testament is when an angel comes to her and says you're going to become pregnant even though you're a virgin and and what was her response her response was let it be done to me according to your will that was what she said, or according to your word, sorry. Let it be done to me according to your word. So she she submitted to God's will. That's all, basically. She doesn't have many other words that she speaks. Um, uh, and, and she is again and again and again. If you look at, again, my icon corner, she's right there next to Christ. And, and she is repeatedly put as the highest example. Um, but she has a, a very strong personality. Uh, and people have visions of her all the time. And you can read these visions of her. And they will describe a very clear personality that goes through and you, you can get to know her. You can pray with her and you can get to know her and you will, you know, that's why we have icons of her as well. We can see her physical likeness. Mm. And, and so you, you can, she, you will, you will become to know her as a living person and you'll, you can get to know her better than you will know any other living person, even your own, you know, if, if you spend, spend, it's where you put your time and your attention, right? You'll get to know these people. Yeah, I struggle with that, to be honest, but I hear you and I get it. Like, I've yeah. got two questions. <laughs> it's, it's tough. To... <laughs> two yeah. questions in the time that we have. Yeah. Um, and I want to finish on the, the, the men's work piece. Yeah. Um, before that, I, I was talking to Laura, your wife in the car, and she gracefully uh, came and picked me up from the ferry yesterday. And, and mm -hmm. I was just getting to know and understand like what it was that... Um, coming to religion has given her, you know, in these last few years in particular, understanding a bit about her own path in history. And I'd just love to hear that from you. And I'm sure a lot of other people would as well. Like it's mm -hmm. not been much of a personal sharing and, and, and that's not a criticism, but I, I would mm -hmm. love to hear you personally, fuck the microphone. Mm -hmm. Also just can be like, this is, this is how my life is now as, mm -hmm. as a, as a result of everything that I'm sharing with you, because you're so passionate about it. And I, I really hear that passion. I just love to understand like, Mm -hmm. from a hard space like what that mm -hmm. what that looks like and that feels for you yeah. mm. so first of all i really don't like when you say coming to religion <laughs> because again we, we uh, the way i look at it is is that i've always been in religion i just made a religion of myself and therefore placed myself above religion somehow but i, I realized right, that, religion that's, is above that's me. my kind of yeah, you know, yeah syntax yeah. And, um, okay so but but uh but coming to christ Okay. uh is has has meant that um the first experience was um of massive relief and i remember just having this thought like i don't have to figure it all out by myself anymore <laughs> there's something i can lean on <laughs> it was like ah oh. like a, a kind of it was like this massive load being removed from my shoulders because I'm, I'm a very ambitious person. I'm a very hardworking person. I'm a very dedicated person. Uh, I had increasingly lost focus and the ability to have stability because I was searching, 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 not finding, trying stuff, 
failing, failing, failing. And so there's just this sudden experience of like the whole world and the whole of existence falling into place. And, and immediately after that, what came was an experience of waking up. Uh, like I had been sleeping and now suddenly I was awake. I'd, I'd been like a zombie. And then suddenly I was aware of, of the world for the first time. I was, I was like, just aware, like, wow. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, like I was, I was just waking out of a dream somehow. Um, and, and then there was this, and, and, and then just again, again, like I just cried and cried and cried. Cause I was like, oh, someone had just like taken like something that was incredibly, you know, the, the closest I've had to it was the first marathon that I ran. Um, and then I, I, I decided, okay, six months from now, I wasn't running at all. I was not in shape. And I was like, I'm going to run a marathon in six months. And so I trained really hard, really committed for six months. And then it was incredibly hard. I hit the wall about 30 kilometers and I, I was crying. Like, no, I wasn't actually, I wasn't crying. I was just fighting and hardly able to move and just incredible pain through my legs, the, those last kilometers. And then just 50 meters before the finish line. My, my wife was standing there and she had a pram with our child uh, in the pram. And then she, she ran alongside me uh, oh. as, I was, as I was running there. And, um, and uh, yeah, I just, I just broke down. I just, it was just too much of me. I really broke down. Suddenly the physical pain and everything came through there. Mm. And, and so that, it was just this like relief of like another person next to me that was, that was there with me. So, so when... Yeah, so there was this feeling of like, okay, I don't have to do it by myself. And then, um, yeah, so, so and, and, and then, you know, what I realized afterwards, like, <laughs> that was just the first step of the journey. And <laughs> like, actually, it just got harder from, from there. The, the stakes got raised. So it was, a, it was a false understanding that I had that I didn't have to do it by myself anymore. <laughs> but what I then found is that I had the resources to deal with the, the, the difficulties that I had faced. Like suddenly then there was, so there was suddenly an underlying joy. So that's been the long-term effect of it is that like the, 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 it's, it's just turned up the heat on all the troubles and the dramas and the challenges in my life. Like that's all got far more difficult, but, but I've, I've, I've just had the resources to be able to deal with it. And, and it is this, it is these, a lot of it is through just having a place to go to, to get re to get nourishment <laughs> yeah uh and yeah. having these and, and it's very much like you said these having an embedded in my whole life there's all these small little rituals where i reconnect to that source uh it, it's like I, I i plug into the light and then it, it, I, I get fed by it and then and then i can go out and conquer the world um, mm -hmm. i really I, I i would want that for myself you know so i, I really feel you mm -hmm. like in that and i, I love that um what has it cost you, if anything? I mean, mm -hmm. you talked about yeah. the trials and tribulations, but becoming an yeah. Orthodox Christian, like yeah. So this was probably my also my I, I I only realized afterwards what the barriers were to this, and it was the costs. <laughs> so the the first cost was um, what I saw as ridicule in the eyes of other people. Mm. Uh, it felt like I would just be uh, weak and ridiculous and stupid and um yeah kind of yeah, this kind of thing and, and that's I, I think to a certain that's followed me for a long time and it's and it's still dogs my steps sometimes as well uh so there are forms where i feel very comfortable speaking and then there are other forms where i really don't know how to navigate yet and still trying to figure that out um but but that was one of the biggest costs is uh i would say something like i've always prided myself on being intellectually very sharp and intelligent uh, and and high IQ and and so this felt like <laughs> um, 
like like yeah, disgrace <laughs> as far as those qualities of myself were concerned, like giving up. Wow. Um, yeah. yeah. And uh, and then the second cost was um, giving up on uh, my what what I kind of th- at that time I guess was like looking through looking for a real experience of reality through more and more extreme experiences in sexuality and psychedelics and all kinds of other areas of alternative hippie living and stuff like that. Um, And especially my relationship with women, uh, I had kind of like built up a philosophy, a way of understanding relationship with women. And I, I I just, and, 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 and it was, there was a lot of pleasure, physical pleasure involved in that as well. And, and, and it was really difficult because I knew that I needed to really get myself together and, and get my act together when it came to sexuality. Um, and yeah, even like yeah, lots of things around, all, all the stuff around sexuality, like that was a very heavy uh, pill to swallow. And I, I, I searched the Bible for excuses and rationalizations <laughs> and all kinds of stuff. I spent hours and hours looking for the internet with articles and trying to find some kind of way that I could rationalize holding on to be some of the things I was doing. Um, and, and, and you know what, the more I've given them up, it's more like, just like, wow, my sex life has just, and my sexuality has never felt greater. The more that I've, I've, I've dropped all of that stuff. Like someone, I read it somewhere. I love when people say that you know, they, they can never remember, but it's somewhere I, I trusted um, as a podcast. In fact, that said that uh, religious people actually, or married people, excuse me, especially in religious context, mm-hmm. actually have more sex than people that don't. I was yeah. like, yeah. what? Yeah. <laughs> Surely. So, uh... No, absolutely. Yeah. 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 It's like, it's like if, if, if there's anything in my sex life, and you know, I, I hope it's okay to, I don't think, I think it's okay. I'm sure it looks fine. If, is there anything in my sex life that is in any way dissatisfying to me? I'll just mention it to my wife. And, and, and she is, we are committed to unification in God. Uh, that is the central aspect of our, what we consider our salvation. It's, it's unification with each other in God. That's how it's the bringing together the masculine and the feminine in, 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 in the marriage relationship. It's, it's, it's two people knowing each other in the most deepest and intimate way. And so a very important part of that is sex. And so if there's anything that I think could be in any way better, I'll just say it to her and then it's, it's a common shared problem. So then we- And vice versa, of course. Yeah, right? yeah obviously. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. So, I mean, yeah, that's, I, I, I have a stronger sex drive than my wife. Um, and, you know, like, obviously I need to be understanding, like right now she's pregnant. Um, <laughs> so, so, you know, I can't just make unreasonable demands, but like it, it's a share, everything we're doing together is a shared interest. So dealing with relationship problems, it's, it's, it takes patience, but- but you have all of the tools there to, no matter what comes up, it's, it's very, no matter what it is, you can solve it because you. I love that because I mean, a lot of relationships fail because it's like, well, this, this, I'm not with the right person and there's not a willingness to um, commit and actually just work through stuff. But what you've got is something greater than yourselves as a reason to, you know, there's, there's something way deeper than just the purpose of a relationship. It's the purpose of existence. It's the purpose of the cosmos. It's nothing is more important than so in Christianity there are and that's two. How you kind of converse when you're in bed, like when you, not literally, of course, but like you, you're really that, yeah. you know. Yeah, I mean, it's it's quite mind blowing to be uh, with someone and 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 to have that depth of intimacy. And it's very challenging for people who who have chosen other paths. There's an article on our on our blog uh, about this written by Catholic, and Catholics can be very kind of 
strict and, <laughs> and and very kind of intellectual in some ways. And so it gets more challenging that way. But he's written in a very direct way. Um, it's a guy called J.P. Marceau who's written about natural family planning, which is like the Catholic perspective on not even using protection. Uh, <laughs> so not using condoms and stuff like that. And I, I get it's super provocative for a lot of people, but he also makes a good case why this is incredibly powerfully bonding for a couple uh, to, to do this kind of stuff. And, and so it's like, you don't have to agree we don't have to say that's the only element but 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 it's very provocative for a lot of people to to get confronted with these ideas um and and to see them promoted so and i, and I get that i get it's challenging to reject if it's coming from something as ancient as as um christianity or catholicism right it's like even though it's that the longer something's been around as you said at the very beginning the well, there are things that are to the test of time mm-hmm. where we find ourselves in modernity it's just like easier to trash and ridicule someone yeah. if you know if they're coming from that perspective as opposed to like yeah. a, you know, a, a sexologist or, or, or something more I mean, you, you can you can trace the catholic roman catholic uh approach to sexuality back to augustine augustine was a sex addict uh, he was one of the church fathers the most central church father for the catholic church and he was a sex addict before he became a christian uh, so he really had to turn very strongly away from sexuality and that has given like that kind of strict asceticism and denial of sexuality, especially the idea of priests becoming having to be celibate. Very bad idea. Nothing related. It's not a Christian idea. It's only the Roman Catholic Church that has that. Yeah, it doesn't right. come from... So but that, that's probably led to a lot of problems. Right. I will say the media loves like just like exploding it and using it for everything at once. Like if you look at the American school system, there's far more incest or what do you call it? Pedophilia cases in, in schools in America than there is in the Catholic church, also on a per capita basis and everything. But you never hear about the schools. You hear about the church. So, so the okay. media loves tearing the church to pieces. And the Danish media does this, all media loves this. And, and people love, you know, so, so it's like, it's like, so it's like, yes, these problems are there. And any organization with you know, like over a billion people is obviously also going to have pedophilia as well as any other organization. And then, and then yes, there are specific issues related to the Catholic Church, um, such as pedophilia, which are, are very unfortunate. And I don't know how they're going to get themselves out of that one either, I think, because they've kind right, of right. dug a hole for themselves. But yeah, yeah like, let's, let's segue neatly into a kind of how religion can still function because we wanted to also talk about men's work um, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah right because it's yeah. it's a big one like uh mm-hmm. i've noticed the trend more in america than anywhere else but definitely a calling back to religion and, and men finding that and and for me that's like um i use the word tentatively because it was a word that i was using before our conversation today mm-hmm. um and so i'm not challenging i'm, I'm kind of reapproaching and, and thinking all the time the more mm-hmm. i listen to you um i need time to figure out my thoughts but mm-hmm. my thoughts before our conversation was that going to religion or this 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 seeking certainty mm-hmm. in religion is is regressive and, and unhelpful um and yet it, it is giving men something and mm-hmm. we you and i could have a, an entirely separate podcast discussion on men's work and and the different forms of it right but that's, that's mm-hmm. not the remit here like mm-hmm. how do you see uh religion and men's work kind of functioning together because mm-hmm. you know yeah. uh, someone that's as you mentioned kind of you, you don't want to go on your own uh forum to to uh, men's work forum to talk about this kind of yeah. stuff because you don't clearly there's something there for you there right so what are your thoughts on on is this helpful is, is it yeah. not well I, I think in men's work one thing i've been doing for a couple of years now is is pointing people towards understanding the roots of things 
Uh, and so I, I wrote an article two and a half years ago called uh, Getting to Know Your Ur Father. I think it was something like that, or The Return to the Ur Father. Uh, and, and it's basically the Ur Father I use as a metaphor for an understanding, like it's a little bit of patriarchy, <laughs> another bad word, right? So but like Alexander Barlesque, in a way, is it? Um, he uses this phrase often, not to derail you. The Ur Father. I think he picked it up from me. Okay. Uh, yeah. So, so I, I think he started using it as well. Um, and, uh, but it's, it's basically like going back to where things, where, where, where ideas come from and understanding the roots, roots of things. And normally there's a man standing behind things as a father figure who, you know, whatever community you're in, whatever tradition you're following, it's normally, you know, there are some that were founded by women, but the vast majority were obviously founded by men, nation states, whatever it is. Right. And so, so getting back to that, and I, I think for most people living in a Western country, if you look back at where the ideas that you have come from, then then you'll probably get to Christianity. I mean, you'll go back. You can say like we go back to Athens and, and Jerusalem. Like those are the two centers that that you need to understand, and, and I think they're equally important and very well integrated through thousands of years of, of thought. They've been extremely well related to each other and, and, and integrated with each other. Um, so. My, so, so that's something I could do, but I, I don't believe we should be practicing religion inside men's work. Uh, I see lots and lots of men's workers who teach Buddhism or other Eastern New Age systems. I don't think that that's right to be doing. I think people find it to be um, strange and weird and fluffy and New Agey or, uh, you know, but some people are quite desperately searching. And so they'll go into that. Um, for me, it's actually a little bit dishonest. And I notice that when I when I bring too much Christianity in, because as again, I think we should point to these things, but not actually teach them. But when I bring too much Christianity in, then people react as well. Uh, and, and they react obviously far stronger against Christianity than if it's Buddhism or Sufism or anything like that. How would you try and do that? Because that's a tough distinction to like to point to something without actually then teaching from that perspective. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, it is difficult and I'm still learning. Uh, I don't know how to do it uh, completely, but like it's about, I think, giving a taste but not saying it. the thing is if you if you make men's works commercial and if you start teaching spirituality in a commercial framework money is going to is going to influence that money relationship is going to influence the, the 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 relationship and and so the teachings will be twisted around uh the person normally mm. um and, mm. and so it's so so what i would say is like Preferably when I'm teaching, I, I, and you like the manifesto core stuff, it really focuses on like personal vision and uh, goal attainment and virtues like stability and, and, and ability to, you know, achieve uh, things and stuff like that. And so ultimately I'd like to be basing on, on universals like beauty, truth, and, 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 um, uh, sorry, what was the beauty, truth, and love? Uh, I, I think those are, virtues that have stayed, stayed the tough time and are common to all of them. Um, and, and, but I, what I'm not is not, I'm not a relativist. Like that's why I also don't like using the word religion because religions are very, very different. You know, like one of the biggest religions in Denmark is football. Like people, you just <laughs> look at the way people go to football, like and the way they treat people, it's a religion. Like it has all the aspects of a religion. They have their pilgrimages and they, they have rituals and they have prayers and they sing songs together. And they, and it's a, it's a, it's a old tribal warfare religion. Uh, it's, it's quite pagan in its expression. European football, it's so clear how it is that you have your, your war colors, paints kind of things and your clothing, everything about it. It's, it's, it's exactly like religion um, in every way except of name. Uh, 
but and and people are more passionate about it than most especially in europe if you look at like christians that are passionate about their christianity than then people are more religious about football than about the established traditions and so so for me, it's like in, in I, I point back to the Urfather, but I'd more just say like, you know, wisdom traditions, look at the wisdom traditions, look, try and investigate the, the very deepest things. New, new atheism has done a good job in deconstructing a kind of materialist Christianity that that was very misguided. Mm. Uh, and, and so that's been it's been good for that because. It was the Christianity I grew up with was was a materialist Christianity. It was like believing in a biblical uh, an understanding of the Bible as kind of like a scientific textbook or something like that, and like being able to prove the flood and prove creation in six days and stuff like that. And it's a very the Bible's never understood by that in the first thousand eight hundred years of Christianity, and especially not the first thousand years, which is where that was before the Catholics and the Orthodox split off in the year thousand fifty four. Um, so. So that that this materialist understanding of Christianity is a terrible understand terrible idea, and and the new atheists have done us a favor of of, of killing that off, and, and has been pretty well killed off by now. There's obviously still parts of it floating around, but I think the reason why we're seeing the new atheists are becoming less relevant for people is because they've done their job. Uh, I don't think I think they've largely done their job, and and we're going to see the, that discussion kind of fading out a little bit more, and more and more people are just getting curious about well, there is something transcendent, and and how do I get closer to that? Yeah, I mean, that's kind of on this book that I'm reading, I think I mentioned earlier, like the a replacement for religion, you know, on, on the back cover, it talks about like, what is it that feeling that you get when you go sit in a church, even quietly on your own, there's something there. And it's like, for the more sensitive of us, perhaps, or perhaps that's me being patronizing. But I remember when I was a, a kid going into a church on um, for midnight mass at Christmas with my mm-hmm. my band, where I was in a band at the time, which we bored, you know, was it Anglican? Uh um couldn't tell you it was a church in the south of england mm-hmm. you know so probably in, anglican yeah yeah exactly mm-hmm. so easy, something too easy, easy to make fun out of and i remember we just were bored sort of 18 19 year olds and we went in there to just kind of take the piss out of these people and as soon as we walked in we all shut the fuck up immediately there was just this kind of awe and respect how dare you you know like we just mm-hmm. it's a beautiful atmosphere to be around you know and i seek out this mm-hmm. one church in particular in lisbon that kind of burned down actually and they've kind of rebuilt a roof over it but on the insides it's completely charred and there's a history mm. to it which i won't go into now but wow my god Beautiful. you know like get goosebumps and there's something deeply peaceful in that so mm-hmm. um i've lost my point but <laughs> 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 yeah. there's there's something at the back of the book that, that, that describes that mm-hmm. you know there's like there's something there that um i i think that's for my opinion that's where a lot of us become seekers and, and um in uh regular society and you know, fuck the nine to five and fuck the system man but what else is there and the, mm-hmm. the deconstructionist stuff that we can see happening now is just deeply alarming and it's mixed with individuality um individualism sorry and, and mm-hmm. you know, identity politics and it's like what a mess because ultimately it's nothing but separation mm-hmm. and there's no grand goal and there's no kind of vision for society or humanity yeah. so these are the things that we're missing and yet there's still something that's holding me back from yeah so back do, do you know what the word the devil comes from diabolos in, in the English language. Diabolos means that which separates. Huh. Mm-hmm. It's the opposite of religion. Diabolos, that which separates. Fragmentation. Huh. I spoke to some men's workers today. One of them said, uh, I think this is just fragmentation. We're just going to continue to see fragmentation. 
I said, no, I think we're going to, you know, it's like, well, yeah, there's going to be probably a lot more fragmentation, but I, I want to be on the side working for bringing things together. Yep. It's necessary. Like, as we're deconstructing the world, we're deconstructing ourselves. And, and so we're finally pieces that are part of ourselves. We spoke yesterday about how every seven years of our life, we, <laughs> we change so much that we start, we're a new person, we're building new things. And so what you have is a series of things that you've done in your life that don't add up to anything. And, and when things are done in God, in, in one thing, <laughs> And then, then they all add up to something. To kind of swing it back to men's work, because I'm also, um, thank you, that was beautiful. Sorry. Just mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's so great. I could talk about not men's work for a while, but about religion. That's, uh... <laughs> I'm, I guess I'm preoccupied and concerned mm. with where we're going as yeah. men in particular and letting go of traditional roles that sort of feel unhelpful and, and men um, not feeling sort of pressured to, to behave in a certain way that then allows them to open up and, and come together and just kind of play and be open and, and yes, be physical and all of these things, you know, like you and I uh, sword, uh, uh, you know, treat to pieces yesterday. I'm like, yeah, fucking there's something in that, that um, we, we also, I think need more of as humans. Mm -hmm. more kind of being in our bodies i mean you might argue that's more of a men thing i, I don't know the answer to that but mm -hmm. there's something around like where we're going means letting go of a lot of the shit in the past and so i guess that's also a um, resistance to bringing um the god stuff into it which again, you agree is also problematic but mm -hmm. shaping a, a vision for men's work um isn't it about then sort of picking out some of these values uh that we've lost through religion and, and somehow incorporating that in to it, but without the, uh, without the supernatural and without the, yeah, the, 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 those kind of labels. Did you see any kind of ability to do that? Um, I mean, when you say supernatural, I don't know exactly what you mean. Um, if it means the transcendent, you know, like. There's physical experiences like, and there's stories that we're asked to believe in which, you know, like, you, know, you you see things and and Jesus walked on water and and miracles you know that yeah. kind of stuff which is like yeah. suspension of the, the natural laws of physics in in your favor for a certain moment yeah. but, you like know, like if you ask me science resurrection you know this is supernatural this is what I mean yeah. by that. yeah I mean if you ask me can science replace faith no no there's no chance of that because science is only interested in material reality so Agreed. it's 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 foundationally materialist um and material reality even physicists say is only 7% of existence. I'd say it's, it's you know, 7% of one aspect of existence, but the spiritual aspect. So how do we exist in the world? Human beings exist through meaning and stories. We create meaning through stories. That, that's our experience of life. We don't really experience things. You look at how we experience the world. We, everything is teleological. Like, so we, we see the purpose of things before we see the thing itself. You don't see a chair, you see a sitting down thing. <laughs> you don't see a cliff, you see a falling off thing. Uh, so it's like we see the ends of things. And so science is specifically aimed at, a, at, a, at, a, at a, the, its deepest level at um, the, the physicality of something and, and not its theological purpose. <laughs> and, and so... As human beings, we can never find meaning and direction and purpose and understand the story of ourselves through science. It's impossible. We need something else to do that. What is that? Well, it's it's you know, it's you know, you, you 
what I what you hear when you say the word religion, I kind of more hear tradition, um, okay. perhaps or something like that. Um, and then you know, it's like, can we do it without stories? No, like stories are essential. Like you you have to have stories. Will those stories contain um, supernatural elements, things that can't be explained by science? Yes, of course. All stories that are old were written before science was invented. They all contain things that can't be explained by science because science didn't exist. You have to, so to understand these stories, you have to put yourself in the mindset of the people who they were intended for. These people had never heard science. They weren't stupid. We have this tendency to think, oh, they were stupid. Today we're enlightened. Now we understand everything. This is this arrogance that we have. Today, something like 35, 37% of the Danish population would probably commit suicide if you removed all the pills that they're taking every single day of their life. This is how, how totally disconnected we are from reality. We don't understand reality. We've lost contact to ourselves, to our own bodies, to our own beings through, oh, science has all the answers for us. Now we'll just follow science. We have faith in science. That's what we have faith in. Yep. We have faith in science. We've become materially rich. We've never been so physically and materially comfortable in the entire history of the humankind. And I would say we've never been so totally spiritually impoverished as we are today. Couldn't and you can just look more. at the yep. look at the, at the level of... of, of um, suicide so no instead of looking down on our forefathers or even worse thinking of them as tyrannical and oppressive patriarchs we need to start realizing you know we have something we need to learn from their way of seeing reality and existence and that is not through a scientific perspective i hear that and we're moving around into several topics and i'm, I'm just and that's well and good i just want to zoom back in on what you said around looking at um the, the, these stories and miracles and things and who they were written for like because you've got me i'm listening like how can i reinterpret or re-understand what i labeled as kind of like ridiculous or the supernatural like mm -hmm. what's the what am i missing you're missing it's called the phronema uh in in greek uh, it's the mindset of of the ancients you have to be able to put your mind into their mindset and understand the way that they understood these stories uh, and the best place to do that is, is the Orthodox Church because they're the ones who've preserved that phronema. That's been their, that's been the only goal of the Orthodox Church is to preserve the mindset of how they understood that because that's that's where the stories can be understood correctly. If you don't understand the way the stories were intended, you you, you read this you read 2000 years ago, you read these stories with your current understanding, it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> you know the words themselves have changed. like the words don't mean the same thing anymore. So we have to be able to understand, and we do that primarily by understanding, well, you know, the people who, 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 who read and wrote about these things, like they, they have written a lot about those scriptures. And then they also, there was a whole body of literature that they all shared together. Just as today, we all have read, you know, like, I don't know what the popular authors are today, Stephen King and da, da, da. These, this is our culture that's built on, on you know, or various movies and quotes that we can get from movies and stuff like that, Marvel comics. And that's our culture today. They also had a, a shared canon. It was considerably smaller than what we have today, much more unified, much less, much less fragmented. So we need to understand their way of seeing reality in the world and wisdom and things like that. And then we read the scriptures with that mindset. That's how we can grasp uh, what the scriptures actually mean.
So this idea, it's a terrible idea that Martin Luther had is like, no, you just, anybody can just sit with the Bible and read the Bible and then they can figure it all out by themselves. Like, no, bullshit, you can't do that. It, it, it's a very, very dangerous idea to have. It's written in the Bible. It's a specific passage of the Bible that says, it says that the, you should never, ever go into any private interpretation of scripture. It's a very bad idea. <laughs> so <laughs> It's the same with a lot of the kind of yogic um, texts that were written, yeah. again, by people that didn't want to be... Um, uh, named because it wasn't about them which i think is really really cool the the not the vedas but there's a, another series mm -hmm. of books that are very very old mm -hmm. and it's like having certain people throughout the ages then kind of um write commentaries on these books and because they deeply understand what's you know what's meant in them and it's through these people that you can then you mm -hmm. know transmission is passed down and knowledge is passed down but again it's not um just to kind of throw a book open and start reading it you also wouldn't kind of get it mm -hmm. and there's yeah. like it's not exclusivity. That's not the aim of it. The, the aim of these people running off and sharing this knowledge was because it was exclusive at the time. Mm -hmm. And so I love the idea that it's like, that there's so much profound knowledge in here, but don't think that you, you're you just going to get it, you know, mm -hmm. which is why we've got so many Instagram shamans that just make my blood fucking boil, claiming truth and all kinds of stuff and then selling, mm -hmm. you know. We're, we're addicted to these little bite-sized meme formed uh wisdom droplets right. the mcnuggets right we don't go into the depths, <laughs> we get the mcnuggets of of truth and the mcnuggets will kill you because they're, they're full of trans fat trans fatty acids so they'll, they'll kill you that's for sure it's true because the core <laughs> teaching in there is often like you know missing i mean there are simple things we also can grasp out there but yeah. the dedication and i guess the the devotion that we one would need to actually really appreciate this stuff i'm not claiming to to have absolutely not but i can see where i am at least in this in this field and that, that really requires dedicated um study so i'm mm -hmm. again this is my frame of reference that kind of that field which i've lost touch with a little bit and all for the, all the worse for it but I, mm -hmm. I see how um i see i hear what you're saying i, yeah. I really get it yeah it was like stop judging the people of the past by the standards of today like that, oh, that's God, the yeah. biggest problem it's like it's like you know that they, they just exist in a very different world and in some ways, they actually had a lot more together than we had. I think I think that we, if you took us and put us back in that society, you know, we would fall to pieces. I think these people were very strong, very clear, very stoic, um, and and were able to withstand a lot of opposition. And 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 and, you know, they weren't so were so distracted. That's what's our main weakness, mm -hmm. I think, as well. Is yeah. We're incredible. Our attention just is all over the place. We have no ability to resist impulsive behavior as well. We're constantly driven by our passions, by our, our impulses. And, and, and so, you know, a thousand years ago, people didn't have those problems. They were not distracted. They were able to do very efficient work, maintain calm and focus for very long periods of time and deal with high degrees of complexity as well. Like, you know, like the, the complexity was at different levels than, than what they had. And of course they, but you know, it's like, it's like, I don't understand my phone just because I have a phone. It doesn't mean I'm more intelligent because I have Google. You think information is equal to wisdom? No, like I have all the information in the world available to me. Wisdom? No, I, I, I think I have very, very little wisdom. I, I, I'm, I'm, you know, like as since I've started this journey and I'm now studying uh, with, with an Orthodox seminary, I just realized like how I'm just starting to scratch the surface of even, even starting to grasp these concepts. So, you know, if I've expressed anything rather dogmatically in this conversation and then i you know it's like i'm sure i've also made lots of mistakes you know i'm, I'm not really learned enough at all to talk about these things i'm just starting to share about my my own thoughts about it in some ways no i mean a reflection more for anyone listening than, than for you like i mean i 
when I hear, heard you talk previously in other contexts around kind of religion around your passion for things like this there was a part of me that kind of reacted and, and, and associated you with you know what I'll term as the fanatical you know because I just see like there's something there and I'm like there is danger in that, you know, and that, that has shown up in throughout religious uh, or tradition. Yeah, you know? and it's a constant risk. Well, pride is, is what can drive it, right? Right, right. Pride is if, if I if I go towards pride, then I start thinking I'm better than other people because I understand things better than they do. And and so it, it's about connecting it to practice and realizing. You know, and it's that, not linked to, limited to people that also have committed to any kind of religion, right? It's like it shows up all over the world. Yeah. But I didn't experience you as being dogmatic in any way today. I've just really enjoyed getting to know you better. And and, um, and I'm, I'm really learning something here. I, I can't say that I'm going to be also hanging out with St. Paul tomorrow, <laughs> but I really respect your journey and, and, and why you're on it. So mm -hmm. like, just from my side, thank you for being so open and sharing all of that. Did I kind of challenge you enough? Did I under challenge you? Is there anything that um, you feel like you were, you haven't expressed that you're holding on to? No, I think you really, I, I felt like it was a really genuine and open discussion. And I, I really, I, I've really noticed that through through this work, since I started it, um, the beginner's mindset <laughs> has been my biggest asset. And it's not natural for me. I've had to learn it. I've rather tended to think that I know everything and I can dominate uh, things by just being like uh, telling people the way it is, because I've always thought like I know the way it is. And I've noticed and initially, I had to have some very strong-minded people. You've met some of them around me uh, to kind of like constantly argue with me in very aggressive ways to kind of, because I saw the value in that uh, and I needed other men. And more and more, I, I see how um, if I'm able to give that to myself, uh, then by just maintaining a humble attitude, um, it, it really teaches me a lot. And, and I really see you on that. You're, you're doing that far better at this stage than what I was doing <laughs> Uh, some time ago so that that as i said richard it really feels to me like you you have a lot of clarity and you're being extremely honest in the search and and i, I feel you are searching for truth and for love and for beauty and 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 I, I i believe that you cannot go wrong if you keep those things in front of you you cannot go wrong so i feel very confident about what you're doing yeah and i also see you growing very much in your leadership capabilities in all the work that i see you doing around men's work as well so it was great to be in a men's group with you at the EMG this year at the death of the patriarchs and uh, I'm really looking forward to seeing what else we can get up to together thank you very very much and uh, likewise yeah Paul thanks for your time thank you my, yeah my pleasure <laughs>
The School of Life is fascinated by the gaps left in modern society by the gradual disappearance of religion. As a secular organization, we're interested in the difficulties we face in finding a sense of community, how rituals are dying out, and the way in which we sometimes crave the solemn quiet found in religious buildings. A replacement for religion lays out how we might absorb the best lessons of religion, update them for our times, and incorporate them into our daily lives. It tries to rescue some of what remains wise and useful from that which, for many of us, no longer seems quite true. A replacement for religion by the School of Life is available in all good bookshops, probably the crap ones as well, and most definitely online. Happy reading.